at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. We have a lot of ground to cover. Geez, by the way, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 um, Over the weekend, a number of, of postings, and some of it are going to be things that we're going to be talking about on the program today. Interestingly enough, gee, who could have figured this out? Remember Penzi Spices, run by sort of crazy, far-lefty activist Bill Penzi, who over the years has kind of made a name for himself by sending out emails with all sorts of bizarre attacks against Republicans. Um, this is the same Bill Penzi who, as a general rule, while denouncing Republicans and things like that, chooses to locate the vast majority of his shops in, in suburbs as opposed to areas where, I don't know, economically disadvantaged people might have an opportunity to buy the spices as well. But but Penzi topped himself a couple weeks ago when he sent out this bizarre email essentially accusing Republicans of, of racism. It was the Republicans are racist weekend in his, his newsletter and he said, okay, this is Martin Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, birthday coming up and, and you know we're going to denounce the Republicans for being you know racist. Remember how Republicans going against a mountain of evidence to the contrary once again lied and said Black Lives Matter wasn't a peaceful movement but instead terrorists inciting, etc., etc. What a bunch of racists. The Republican Party does everything it can to make it harder for black people to vote. You know, you've got Penzi repeating all those different tropes. Well, surprise follows surprise that after you send out a message like that, essentially saying that at least a portion of your customer base, you consider them to be racist, surprise follows surprise, maybe some of those people decide, you know what, we're going to vote with our wallets and we can buy spices pretty much anywhere. So after that email, apparently on Friday, Penzi sent out another begging for gift card purchases and saying that his company had lost 40,000 subscribers um, since since he sent that out. To which my, my thought was, gee, you send out a bizarre email calling a chunk of your customer base racists and then you whine after you lose their business. My guess is I doubt they're teaching the Penzi way in too many business schools. And as I said, you, you can buy spices anywhere. Now, look, I, I understand, and I've said this before, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, people have the right to their own political opinions, and I have never believed that just because somebody donates to a particular cause, that means you shouldn't patronize their business. Would, would I not go to a Bucks game because the big Bucks owners are, are big-time lefties Well, of, of, who you know contribute tons and tons of money to the Democratic Party? Well, well no. I mean, I, I think that that's, that's their right to do it, and it's why I've always sort of resented these efforts. Oh, so-and-so, this company is run by these people, and they gave money to Scott Walker, so we need to, we need to you know, boycott them so i've never been a big fan of that but that's different when you use your company email to essentially send out these blast messages saying well it's not just that i choose to give to democrats that's all well and good it's not just that i choose to support them 
Democrats, but all these Republicans are racist. To me, that, that kind of crosses the line, and I'm not at all surprised to see that sort of reaction. And like I say, if this is the Penzi way to do business, I doubt too many business schools are going to be teaching this as an example, unless it's an example of what not to do. All right, in my little discussion with Scott Warris, we had a conversation, and I said, I think by 3 o'clock, if you listen to the entire program, my guess is there's going to be all sorts of you on all sides of the political spectrum that I would have irritated. Let's start. Former President Trump attended another one of these rallies that, that he's been conducting over the course of the last several months in an effort to try to you know, keep himself relevant, keep himself in the news, or, or, or whatever, and at this rally on Saturday night in Texas, President Trump hinted once again that he is fully planning to run for office in 2024. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later. But he decided to mix that message in with what went on with the riot, whatever word you want to use, insurrectionists, rioters, protesters, whatever, from January 6th. And this is what President, former President Trump said. If I run and I win... We will treat those people from January 6th fairly. If it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly, quote, end quote. Now, so far, the United States Department of Justice has charged more than 725 people to date in the attack at the Capitol. And we all know what happened. You had a, a number of people who had gone to Washington to pro, you know, protest the, the stop the steal sort of thing. And a portion of those folks got completely and totally out of control. They stormed into the Capitol. So 725 have thus far been charged. Dozens have been sentenced, mainly on misdemeanor convictions for unlawfully entering a restricted building. Um, Earlier this month, federal prosecutors indicted 11 on charges of seditious conspiracy. Where, Where that goes, I think, is kind of an open question. But President Trump saying that he is at least open to issuing pardons if he gets reelected to the people that were involved and were subsequently convicted of misconduct at the Capitol. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My reaction to this, three words. Give me strength. I I, I mean, I, I do not... Look, I, I don't care where you are on, on the spectrum, where whether you're you know a far right-wing guy or you're a far left-wing gal. I, I don't care where that is. Um, generally speaking, I, I think that when it comes to crime and criminal behavior and bad behavior, what we need to do is we need to say people need to be accountable. And I'd say that the same is true whether it's the, the 14-year-old kid in Milwaukee who's stolen four or five cars or whether it's the multiple felon who's caught with the gun or whether it's people who bust into the Capitol, destroy property, and assault federal officials. The, the, if, if you were engaged in criminal behavior, you need to be held accountable. And for the life of me, I do not understand what Donald Trump thinks he gains by saying, if I get back into power, I will give people involved in the insurrection on January 6th pardons. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a staggeringly, at least in my opinion, this is a staggeringly irresponsible thing to say. Um, 
even given all the other irresponsible things that I think Donald Trump did in connection with January 6th, this might be the cherry on the cake, uh, on the top of that cake. 855-616-1620. Should we even consider pardons for people convicted of criminal activities in connection with what happened last year? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Join WTMJ on Thursday, February 17th for a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life, politics, the economy, health, and more. Big issues from big names on the biggest stick in the state, WTMJ 2022, Thursday, February 17th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. Find more information at WTMJ.com. If you're just tuning in, Former President Donald Trump is having one of his rallies over the weekend in in Texas, and he's calling on people, trying to mobilize them to protest if prosecutors in New York or Atlanta issue charges against him or his organization. Then he says, and if I'm elected, if I am elected in in 2024, what I want to do is I'm going to make sure that all those people who were engaged in the misconduct at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, are treated fairly. If this requires pardons, we'll give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. 855-616-1620. I'm sorry. Has has former President Trump lost his mind? I I mean, it's, look, here's the bottom line. This isn't all about protest. If somebody decides that they want to bust into the Capitol and attack Capitol police officers and destroy stuff, and they've been brought through the criminal justice system, they've been tried and they've been convicted, you know what? The former president shouldn't run on a policy of saying, I am going to pardon those. First of all, it's just incredibly bad policy. Secondly, I think it's incredibly dumb politics. But, you know, I mean, because I think most people, Republican and Democrat, look at that and say, wait a second, these people engaged in all this misconduct trying to, I don't know, help you stay in office illegitimately, and now you're going to give them a pass? Just doesn't seem right to me. 855-616-1620. Ron in Sheboygan. Ron, you're first thanks for having me on uh here's my opinion uh why is this statement about pardoning any different than the action that former president obama and our governor tony evers did look at the people that they pardoned after they were arrested convicted and in jail so what's the difference also when they had the rioting in madison there were no convictions there should have been but there was no no convictions for all the damage it did to our state capitol building about eight years ago or whenever that was Okay, well, Ron, first of all, thanks for the call. I guess, first of all, I am not a huge fan of of the of the pardon power to begin with. That's why when, when Scott Walker, for example, exercised, I don't know that he used the pardon power at all during his eight years in governor. And if I was the governor or the president, I would use it very, very sparingly. There have been all sorts of horrible examples of pardons that were issued. Bill Clinton, on his way out of his office, a pardons fugitive financier, what was the guy named? Mark Mark Rich, I think was the guy's name, who, who was actually on the lam at, at the time. So there have been abuses. But, but to give you an example, for example, Tony Evers, who I think is pardoning way too many people, Tony Evers is not pardoning people who were involved in criminal activity designed to keep himself in office. If you look at Evers' pardons, and you know, you mark the tape on this, 
uh, and you know you can go individual by individual, but generally he's pardoning people who committed crimes 15, 20, 30 years ago, almost all, I believe, crimes that they're nonviolent, who, who've led you know, upstanding lives since then. To me, if you're going to use the pardon power, that, that's, that's what it's for. It's to say, okay, you did something really stupid and criminal a number of years ago, but, you know, now, now you, you want to be able to legally carry a gun to go hunting or something like that. And this conviction you have when you're 19 years old, it, it's, it's stopping you at the age of 49 or 50. Those are as a general rule. And you can find some exceptions, but those are the general the rule. Those are the type of people that Evers is pardoning. In this case, what Trump is saying is, I have people who engaged in criminal activity. And, and keep in mind, we're only talking about pardons for the people that were actually charged and were convicted. There were all sorts of people that were there. They don't need pardons or anything like that. So these are the people that stormed in the Capitol and destroyed property, whatever. And to simply say, well, now, because they were doing something to benefit me, I'm going to give them a break and I'm going to give them a pardon. For, it, it, it is, I think, materially different because these are people that were trying to help him, and he's now decided he's going to give them out. Um, let's see, um, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Biden has pardoned over 350 people, so Trump, who's not even in office, makes this comment, why aren't you talking about the Biden pardons? Well, the reason I'm not talking about the Biden pardons is this is Trump, once again, trying to minimize what happened on January 6th and I, I just I repeat this I think for Republicans who want to downplay what happened on January 6th it's a losing strategy it is bad policy and it's bad politics but let's start with it being bad policy what you need to be able to do if you want to be the party that stands up for law and order you need to condemn bad behavior when you see it and just because you have a bunch of people to decide that gee we want to try to keep Donald Trump in office so that's why we engaged in this behavior and we dressed up and in loincloths and were carrying spears and we stormed into the Capitol and we threatened the lives of politicians so it's okay because we did it because of Donald Trump and Trump now says he's going to give us a get out of jail card free no that's wrong and i think people need to understand that it's wrong and again what do you attempt to accomplish by doing this um 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line jeff i wish we could stop giving trump airtime because he's such a maniac well this for 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 people who would like to see Donald Trump run again, right? You got to understand it's stuff like this which makes it difficult or will make it difficult or impossible for lots of Republican leaning voters to vote for him next time around if he's on the ballot because you have a guy who while the Capitol insurrection was going on just kind of stood by and watched it and you can argue that he kind of silently applauded the thing and, and by the way for people who think that I'm out there on this position um, you, you have a, a number of Republicans conservative Republicans and more moderate Republicans just kind of shaking their head going this is not what you say Lindsey Graham 
Lindsey Graham, who was one of the big allies for Donald Trump, he says uh, these remarks are inappropriate. I don't want to reinforce that defiling the Capitol is okay, and I don't want to do anything that would make this more likely in the future. Yep. This is one of these situations where I understand that Donald Trump feels he's got to be out there. He feels he's got to be saying things. He feels he's got to be more outlandish in order to get attention. And he feels that this is the type of stuff that panders to some of his support. But promising or offering pardons to the people who were involved in criminal activity at the Capitol a year ago is not the way to win back middle America. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Milwaukee Police Department, as I mentioned quite often, and I give them credit for this. This is with transparency. They they have a an up-to-date, or at least an almost up-to-date, list of various types of, of crimes. So you can see where crime is and compare it to where it was you know, last year, we, we looked at it a lot. Um, by the way, the most recent numbers, now they say this is year to date. So they say that this um, that this ends up going through, let's see, what's the last date of this? This would be, um, they say it's current through yesterday. I'm not sure that's true. But motor vehicle theft, it, it's now, you know, last year you had 10,480 cars stolen. This year, there's now more cars stolen this year than there were at the same time last year. As unbelievable as that is, we we are at a pace to exceed the number of cars stolen. And, and that's only one month in. There have been, I'm going to round up, they, they say 799. And again, I think that's probably a lagging indicator. There's already 800 cars stolen. And this is January. I mean, this is when you have cold streaks and you have snow. They've got 800 cars stolen already on the mean streets of Milwaukee. But what's really the the eye-catching number is, according to their statistics, this time last year there were 11 homicides. This time they say there are 24 homicides. We are on pace to blow away all-time records for homicides, and I think that 24 number is is low. I'm just looking at some of the newspaper reports from over the weekend. Journal Sentinel, Milwaukee police investigating two homicides that took place Saturday morning a few blocks apart. The first shooting occurred in the 1400 block of North 26th Street around 3 a.m. Police say it was a 61-year-old man who shot and was shot and died. The shooting was the result of a robbery, according to police. Hours later, roughly half mile away, police say a 27-year-old man was killed and a 60-year-old man was injured in the shooting. This incident occurred in the 900 block of North 27th Street around 11:30 a.m. Okay, Saturday morning, 11:30 a.m. The 900 block of North 27th Street, you've got two people who are shot. One man is killed and one man is in the hospital, and that's after somebody else was murdered a few hours earlier. Police say during an argument, people fired several shots, striking the two men. Okay, this is 11.30 in the morning, and a gun battle breaks out on the city streets. And of course, not surprisingly, you have you know somebody who ends up um, 
somebody who ends up dead. Journal Sentinel is saying there have been 26 homicides in Milwaukee County this month. All homicides, with the exception of one, occurred in uh, Milwaukee. So it's really not a countywide problem. It, it's the city. Then a, a report, it, it hasn't gotten widespread coverage yet, but, but it will. Saturday night, about 11.30 at night, uh, the George Webb's restaurant in Wauwatosa, um, uh, on like 122nd and West North Avenue, um, an employee, 26-year-old employee, apparently shot in the face while working at the George Webb. Now, he is expected to survive, but here you have somebody working. He, he's shot. Don't know any of the details of that. He will survive. And then you've got the story yesterday. A Milwaukee man, 39, was shot and killed Sunday afternoon near 29th and Ruby. Police say shots were fired around 3 p.m. So you, you have another situation where it's it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We're not talking 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, I understand for the first homicide, it was a robbery of a 60-some-year-old guy in the middle of the night. But the, these other incidents, these other shootings, it's 1130 in the morning. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I would say that we have become the wild, wild west, except that's an insult to the wild, wild west. You almost get the idea that any time of day or night in some parts of the city, you got to be prepared to duck and cover because there's a decent chance that you are going to be find yourself in the middle of a full-scale gun battle. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not really hearing too much from the mayoral candidates as to what their ideas are. Lots of this lip service saying, oh, well, we, we need to you know improve economic conditions and we need to you know get jobs. Well, okay, who's going to open a business in an area where at 1130 in the morning there's a good chance of having shots fired and your employees or your customers or whatever could get caught in the crossfire? So until you can get a hold on crime, you know, good luck getting people to, to patronize those places. But this, this horror show, it's not letting up. And every time you think that it can't get worse, it does. Every time you think there there can't be more car thefts this year than there were last year, well, there, there are. Every time you think that there can't be more robberies, there can't be more burglaries, there can't be more thefts, there can't be more murders, well, there are. Like I say, right now, this time last year, maybe 11 homicides, that's what the numbers say, and, and we I think we're probably at 25, 26, 27 homicides. We're blowing the doors off these homicide totals. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to talk about the effect that crime has, because I, I really firmly believe that when it comes to livability, we talk about a lot of things. We Obviously, the tax climate is important. The job situation is important. The weather is important. All those different types of things. But when it comes to the number one priority, I continue to believe it's crime because nobody wants to... Nobody wants to, if they have a choice, live in a neighborhood where there's going to be gunshots. Nobody wants to patronize a place, an area of town, where they could get caught in a gun battle. Nobody wants to go to restaurants in the Third Ward at 2.30 in the afternoon if you know that there might be carjackers that are there that are willing to shoot police officers. 855-616-1620. What is this doing to the perception of Milwaukee? If you are in the suburbs... 
Are there occasions where you just simply say, I'm not going downtown? If you live in the city, are there places where you just say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go? Or alternatively, I just got to get out of here. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is the incredible undercovered story, the raw numbers of the elements of violence and what that does to communities. And I'm not hearing anybody that has any real solution to it. And what that means is I think more and more people are just saying we're staying the heck away. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I currently live in the city, and I pretty much stay in my house for fear of being caught in something. The plan is to move out of the city at the end of my lease in May. Jeff, I live in Sheboygan. Used to go to Milwaukee to shop and go to restaurants, etc., but I no longer feel it's safe. Now I go to Appleton or Green Bay instead. Jeff, I'm a longtime landlord on the Marquette campus. The level of violence in that neighborhood needs to be called out. The 27th Street Corridor was the first thing the Near West Side Partners were supposed to work on when Marquette, Harley, Molson Corps started the organization in 2015. They and the city are completely tone deaf as to the reality of what's really going on in that city. Jeff, I have a son who attends UWM and commutes every day. He is seriously considering switching schools because it is dangerous to drive around in that area no matter what time of the day or what time of the week you get the idea jeff i live in greenfield i also drive a 2021 kia sportage i refuse to drive in milwaukee and park at night with my car i'll take uber if i go to milwaukee for an activity or event i will not risk my car getting stolen i think about it often i do doordash and got pulled to an order downtown this weekend and was quite afraid thankfully the client met me outside her apartment i had to pause the app till i could drive back to the suburbs because i wasn't feeling comfortable with my car out there. Jeff, I stopped going to downtown Milwaukee about two years altogether. I quit going to the lakefront probably eight years ago. It's not just the crime, but sometimes it's the neighborhoods you need to drive through to get there. I have lived in Milwaukee and Milwaukee County for 60 years, but plan to move this year. I'm tired of the crime, the useless politicians, the sky-high taxes, and the failing schools. I'm done. 855-616-1620. Mike in Hales Corners. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Uh, so my son is a Milwaukee firefighter, and I think he's about 10 years. He's been one. And he was telling me recently that he's worked in some high-crime neighborhoods, and he said it's been dramatically worse. He said if people knew how bad things were in some of these neighborhoods, they would be appalled. And I'm sure you could talk to a lot of police officers and a lot of firefighters that would tell you exactly that same story. And I think you may know better than most people, It's a lot of this, I think, has to do with just this catch-and-release mentality. Mm-hmm. And the fact that our sentencing laws are so, I don't, I don't really, I can't even think of the proper word to say, but so liberal, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, just, there's people getting slapped on the hand, and it's like they need to be slapped a, a yeah. lot harder. The, get, you get the bad eggs off the streets. And well, you know, th- thanks what, a lot. Yeah. Life will start to improve. It, it will. Thanks for a call, Mike. And see, this is see, this is what is so frustrating to me when you have these politicians who who make excuses for the situation. It, it really is, to use the cliche, it's it's neuro fiddling while while Rome burns. And and and, and so you know, I, you know, I was talking about this last week. You've got some legislators in Madison who are 
taking what I think is a good first step, which is reforming the bail laws. We're going to talk about bail in just a little bit. But reforming the bail laws to say that, okay, if you commit a crime after having been convicted of another crime, a felony or something like that, there's going to be minimum bail that you have to set that will be set to allow you to to get out instead of these ridiculously low things. Um, But to your point, Mike, what's going on is I, I really think in the community there is... It's not like everybody is a criminal. It's not. It, it, most of the crimes, I believe, are committed by a relatively small percentage of people, but it's the same people over and over and over again that we bend over backwards to try to avoid holding them accountable. You know, I, I swear, my head wants to explode every time we have one of these, like, shooting instances, and, and you have the, the politicians come out and they say, well, there, there's too many guns on the street. Okay, that, that that's fine. But what do you want to do with it? Well, the, what you start with is then the follow-up is, yes, so when we have somebody who, let's start, let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Let's start with the felons in possession of the guns. Now, the, these different shootings that I talked about at the start of this segment, that the George Webb employee who was shot in the face, 1130 on Saturday night, the, the people who were murdered on, on Saturday, the people who were murdered on Sunday, you know, assuming they catch the people that did it, and that's one of the problems. We've got the Milwaukee Police Department used to be great at clearing homicides, identifying people. Now the problem is there's so darn many of these things, they, they just can't keep up. But what do you want to bet if they catch the people that, that shot the George Webb employee in the face, if they catch the people that were involved in the in the shooting sprees over the weekend, what do you want to bet that it's not the first time at the rodeo? What do you want to bet that whoever was involved in the shooting is going to have a felony conviction? Or, it, yeah, it's going to have a felony conviction, and probably more than one. Now, maybe they just woke up one morning and said, hey, today's the day I'm going to go pack eat, and I'm going to get in a gun battle in the streets of Milwaukee. But I don't think so. It's these criminals. So when you have these politicians who come out and say, well, there's too many guns on the street, etc., that the low-hanging fruit, then, is to follow up and say, when we catch somebody who is illegally in possession of a firearm, we're going to send them away. We're, we're going to, and that's why I think the state legislature and Governor Evers would do great things by imposing mandatory minimum penalties for felons who have, who get caught carrying guns. Because, you know, if you've already committed a felony and you're not allowed to have a gun, you know, you, you're doing no good when you're out on the street with that gun. So let's start sending people to prison for doing that. And, and let's, let's get rid of the plea bargaining on this. Let's say that these charges cannot be dropped. They have to be brought. And yeah, maybe it means you gotta build a few more prisons. Oh, okay. If you get these dangerous subsets of people who are out there preying on the community and you get them off the street, isn't isn't this going to be a better place? Jeff, when you need an escort to your car in a school parking lot as a sports official after a non-rival girls volleyball game, you know things are getting bad. Jeff, Mike daughter, he considered Marquette for college, but because of all the recent crime and kids being held up at gunpoint on campus, she's she's changed her mind. Um ap- Absolutely, you've got that. Jeff, I had a cousin who grew up around 35th and North in the 50s and 60s. He now lives in Sussex. I asked him a while back if he wanted to go with me to a Bucks game. His response was, not a chance. 
I don't go anywhere near Milwaukee anymore. Yeah. I used to love coming downtown, the lakefront, the Riverwalk, Water Street. I just got back from Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. I felt incredibly much more safe then than I, there than I do in Milwaukee or in most major U.S. cities. I, I had dinner on Saturday night with a number of people who um, live in the suburbs. And th- th- this this conversation came up, a- and I said, and I know a lot of these these folks love to patronize some of the really great restaurants in Milwaukee and stuff. And I said, I'm just curious, you know, have have your habits changed? Because I mean, these are folks that you know can drive down and they have the wherewithal to do it, but but they can also go anywhere. And I will tell you to a person, the response I got from all these different couples we were with was, no, what we're, we're you know we're we're not driving down there, we're not leaving our cars on the street where we're worried when we come out after we've had a meal that we could get mugged we're worried that we the car is not going to be there when we come out of the street no these are the things that are going on and it's it's the reality that is out there and look i i grew up around here right that this isn't a oh let's just rag on milwaukee this is a things need to change and people need to wake up and by people i mean the people who are responsible for getting the criminals off the street, keeping them off the street, and the politicians who are responsible for passing the laws that do it. They need to wake up. Um, Jeff, I live in Jefferson County now. I attended high school in Milwaukee. I'd like to go to Pfizer Forum. I haven't seen it yet. The Lakefront Museums and Brewers Games. I'm just not comfortable going past West Dallas on the I-94 um, area. Um, Jeff, I watched my daughter play in a volleyball tournament at the Wisconsin Center this weekend. The parking lot across the street had more than 10 vehicles damaged. Their windows were all bashed in. Um, yes, Jeff, we live in Virginia. Our youngest son is interested in attending Marquette University. The crime is making us seriously consider alternative schools, despite his disappointment in not attending the college of his first choice. Well, that's, okay, that, that that's a reality. Now, the only thing I will say in defense of Marquette is there's lots of urban areas that are being plagued with out-of-control crime. So I, I don't know you know, what his other alternatives are, but I don't know that you're necessarily better saying, okay, I want to go to a school in downtown Philadelphia or I want to go to a school in downtown D.C. or a downtown New York or whatever. But, yeah, it, it's it's a factor that's out there. Um, Jeff, you realize your show is hurting Milwaukee. Okay, well... This is political. You're you're playing to your base that hates Milwaukee because there are Democrats. No, okay. This is not a Republican or Democrat thing. And see, that's that's the problem that's out there. There's people that want to see it in this way. The problem is, it is a quality of life issue. You look at these numbers, and the numbers don't lie. 30 cars a day stolen off the streets a day and that's been going on for a couple years and it's not subsiding you know the homicide rate right now more than twice as many homicides on the streets of milwaukee this time this year as there were last year and last year was an all-time record no this this isn't about gee there's an unfair perception of, of certain areas this is about the city is out of control with violence and this is about people need to wake up. And this is, we've got a mayoral election coming here. Crime should be the number one issue. And 
every time you hear from a Milwaukee mayoral candidate, the question should be, all right, what are, don't give me just lip service about crime. What is it? Because we, we all understand that it's bad. You know, what specific initiatives are you in favor of that are going to, again, make things better? And if all you're hearing is, well, I, I want to put some more community resources in and I want to have more midnight basketball, that isn't working. That just flat out is not working. All right. Lots of stuff coming up on the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. What is it? Two weeks from tomorrow, or February 14th. So that's uh, two weeks from today, right? It's Valentine's Day. All right. Now, if you are of a certain age, you can remember when in schools, public and private, they actually they, they take some time off and, and they'd, they'd have little parties for Valentine's Day. I want to share with you an email I received from one of our listeners who um, has a child in kindergarten. Now, this is kindergarten in the uh, Monona Grove school system. All right. So here's what, what they, they sent me. They said, look, um, yeah, we just got this email from you know one of the elementary school teachers. I, I want to share with this, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, this is it says during the month of January, we that would be the schools focused on kindness. Learners participated in a marker space lesson in which makerspace lesson in which they reviewed how to fill someone's bucket with kind actions and kind words. Learners constructed their own buckets out of mixed materials and practiced filling each other's buckets when completed. Learners also painted kindness rocks, participated in a kindness challenge, and were invited to join many dress up days. All right, that all sounds pretty good. You know, we're getting people to, to like each other. As part of our school and district-wide commitment to equity, we are focused on we are focused on building. Okay, as part of our school and district-wide commitment to equity, we are focused on building community and creating welcoming, inclusive environments for all students. All right, while we recognize that Valentine's Day may be a fun tradition for many. There are also inequities in observing this tradition. Whether or not this has been your experience or your students' experience, our goal is to provide space and opportunities for all students to be part of our school community. Because of this, we will not be celebrating Valentine's Day in school. We acknowledge that you may not agree with this decision. We also recognize that you may support it. It is our job as public school administrators to look beyond opinion and do what's best for all students and families. Okay, we appreciate your support as we continue to find new and engaging ways to build community. So they're saying, okay, well, we've been studying like love and sharing and all these things, but we've decided we're going to cancel Valentine's Day. Okay, so... The, the listener says um, send, sends this note back and says that the email regard this is, was directed to the school. The email regarding Valentine's Day made me upset. Can you please educate me on how there are inequities in observing this tradition? I genuinely do not understand how a holiday about love for each other is an inequity. Out of all the holidays, isn't this the one we should be celebrating? Love for everyone and showing that we care for others who are like us and not like us. Is the issue that certain families cannot purchase Valentine's for each child in the classroom? If money is the issue, then can't Valentine's be 
be created in art class using crayons and construction paper. I can speak for my son, and he would love a homemade Valentine, probably even more than a store-bought one. This makes me sad for my son. He would love nothing more than to give something special to his classmates and to know that anything he were to bring in would be returned home is an absolute slap in the face. Um... Goodness forbids my child expresses love on Valentine's Day to his friends. Okay, so that's what they send off. This is the response the person then gets from the school administrators. I'm sorry that this is upsetting for you. I do understand that traditions are hard to let go. Unfortunately, many traditions and holidays results in students feeling left out and having to ask and be reminded that their family may not have what others have. We also have families that would not come to school if and when a holiday is celebrated in school. We don't want anyone to feel like they can't come to school when there are other ways we can build community and celebrate important things like love, kindness, and empathy. We are working at creating new memories, etc., etc. And then the response that the listener had is, I'm sorry, but this is maybe one of the silliest things I've ever, re- I've ever read. Not sending your kids to school because of a non-religious-based holiday? Come on. Would be nice if our administrators would take a big-picture approach and realize how many kids are bummed out to miss out on these hard-to-let-go traditions, especially when their family members in neighboring communities make them feel left out when they see all the Valentine's Day goodies they received. Who cares about the vast majority, though, right? As long as our administration feels better about inclusive policies they have accomplished, I'm sure they're proud. Thanks. All right. So that, that's the exchange. They've decided we're not going to have Valentine's Day in kindergarten level, not because we, we want to spend the time you know, involved in learning and we think it's a, 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 a waste of time, not because really we're, we're concerned with the economics of it, but simply because there are some parents who might not send their kids to school if there's a holiday being celebrated. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually agree completely with with our our listener. This is one of the silliest, and and believe me, I've heard a lot of silly things from school administrators. This is one of the silliest things that I've heard in a long time. Not, no, we're not going to do it because we we think it, it takes away from learning activities. No, we're not going to do it because we are concerned that, that some kids might get a handful of Valentines and others might get everything, and, and this is going to result in inequity and people will be bummed out. This is just like, well, so, some parents might not pay attention or not, might not celebrate Valentine's Day, and they might not send their kids to class to do it. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, really? I mean, uh, here's a, one of our texters. Jeff, doing what's best is an opinion. It's just not ours. It, it's theirs. Okay, is there any real reason in a kindergarten class to, to cancel Valentine's Day simply because... Well, okay, some people might feel like they're being excluded. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's just, again, to me, these are these administrators who are trying to find a solution to a non-existent problem. I mean, who's your... Who's going to not send their kid to school because, gee, we're going to have a Valentine's Day party? I mean, really? 
855-616-1620. These administrators work way too hard on trying to use, I, I don't know, inclusiveness as a justification for doing away with harmless, pleasant, fun traditions. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I live in Germantown, and there was the room, and was the room mother for my kids' classes. We always had holiday parties, but there were two children in my daughter's class that could not attend parties because they were Jehovah's Witnesses. It was sad that they had to sit in the hall during the party, but I never felt the other twenty-eight children in the class shouldn't be able to have a holiday party because of this. Um, yes, Jeff. Listener was spot on and and impressively respectful in their discourse with the school staff member. If it were a religious holiday, that's totally different. But Valentine's Day, come on now. What's the harm in classmates drawing little cards for each other? They could make a rule that all Valentines have to be at school with supplies provided so that no one's supplies are excluded and implement a rule that if you make a card for one classmate, you have to make one for every classmate. Yes, um, you know, that's... That's it. There, there's no question about it here. Um, what can you say? Hey, um, Jeff, let's see. Um, th- this used to happen when I went to school way back when. Well, I don't know. I don't think a lot of people did. Jeff, I agree it's silly, but it's also very sad. I'm glad I grew up many years ago before enjoying a simple holiday was considered to be socially unacceptable. All right, let's start with Jack on the north side. Jack, you're on WTMJ. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. I used Hi, to teach at MPS, and um, uh, that the, the one texture did nail it on the head. Um, we don't want to, the as schools, we don't want to say we're not doing this because of the Jehovah's Witnesses, because that would be targeting them. But um, in the past, we would, as teachers, would find them, uh, find students who were not allowed to participate, something that we made sound like more fun to do. And um, and we would invite them to another room to have this activity instead of saying, well, you can't, your parents don't want you here. Now, the kids don't always agree with that. They want to be at the party, okay, and they know what's going on because they talk to their classmates during recess. And so, um, however, it is the Jehovah Witnesses who do not celebrate Valentine's Day because it's about human love, not love for God. And so, um, you know, that's just the way it is, and um, they're... I appreciate what the school is doing. I think they're doing something really nice. But, yeah, the rest of us miss out. I I agree with that. Okay, well, thanks for the call. I, 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 Jack, if that's – I guess here would be my response to that. If that's the thinking, my response to the family would be, okay, that's a decision that, that you are making, but we're not going to – punish everybody else in the classroom because you have decided to take this particular position. And I guess, and, and, and I mean that. I mean, if, if you as a parent, I, I respect it. If you as a parent say, I don't, I don't like the, this particular book that's being taught, 
okay, that, that, that's, that's fine, and, and maybe we can accommodate you by saying, okay, if, if, you don't want, if you don't want your kid to read To Kill a Mockingbird in English class, okay, that, that's fine. Maybe we can find something alternative for your kid to read. But that doesn't mean that we're going to say to everybody else, or we should say to everybody else in the class, okay, you're, we're not going to read To Kill a Mockingbird because Jeff's parents don't, don't like that. To me, that this is the, the same thing. You make the activity available to everybody. If people decide to opt out, well, that, that's the decision that the people have made, that they're opting out for whatever reason they may have. But to me, this is, this is sort of what we, we talk about, about, you know, dealing with like the lowest common denominator. It, it, this idea that because one person wants to object to this, and I mean, who, who knows how many people in, in a kindergarten classroom, if any, would really fit into this. But okay, so you've got one kid whose parents decide they're not going to participate in this. Okay, so the idea is, okay, so nobody's going to be able to participate in this? See, that's, that's I think, what's just, you know, what just makes my head explode, you know, with this situation. And again, if you're going to do all this stuff in, in January about friendship buckets, and here we're going to have all these understandings and things like that, and, and we're going to teach kids up to share and all that stuff, but but yet we're going to say we're, we're not going to have somebody come in on, on Valentine's Day? I mean, what if the parents of the kids decide, you know what, we don't we don't we don't like this idea of, of sharing. You know, we, we think that this promotes I, I don't know what whatever you know whatever sort of weird approach that they might want to have to this. So you know we we object to this these lessons being taught. Okay, so you got two choices. You can say, all right, well, we're going to change the curriculum, a curriculum that we think perfectly appropriate for everybody, but we're going to change it because you've got the one family or the two families that object to it. Or alternatively, you know, you end up saying, all right, we're we're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. I mean, where does this come? Where do you draw the line on this? I mean, is it we're we're going to all right? Thanksgiving is coming up. Well, we have some people who don't believe that you celebrate Thanksgiving. That the families don't celebrate. Thanksgiving, so we're not going to have a Thanksgiving-based activity the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We're going to cancel that. And again, we're, we're not we're not talking about the non-secular stuff here. This isn't the religious holidays. All right, it, it's summer school. We have some people who don't believe in the Fourth of July because for whatever reasons they don't they don't appreciate american independence or they're not from here or whatever so we're not going to have a 4th of July themed parade we're not going to do this stuff through the school system because well somebody may be excluded i mean you know seriously i mean at what point in time in this yo jeff you're 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 wrong you know um if this was a situation where you had a certain religious group that felt that um they would not send their kids to school they would sue yeah let them sue let, let, let them sue. You're not telling them that they cannot participate. They are making the decision not to participate. There's a big difference that, between the two. And if you decide somebody, all right, you know, we don't want to send the kids to school, fine. You don't send the kids to school for that particular day. I respect it. But you cannot, at least in my opinion, you can't simply keep saying, okay, because there's one person out of a class of 80 that might object to something, we're not going to let the other seven. 79 people engage in this. But yet, of course, that's what the public school system apparently does nowadays, particularly in politically correct places like Manila.
Monona. Uh, Monona Grove. Coming up next, as long as we're talking about the public school system, an interesting proposal came out late Friday from Madison. I'll share that with you and we'll discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A, a quick update on something we talked about the, the other day. This, this is a big deal up in Appleton. What, what happened is ThetaCare, which was is a one of, the, one of the hospitals that's up there, a number of their employees, like a half dozen of their employees, decided that they wanted to leave and go over to Ascension. And ThetaCare went to court to try to block these employees from leaving. Now, all the employees were at-will employees. And I, I think in most of the cases, the employees had actually gone to ThetaCare beforehand and said, look, we, we've got these offers, and, and here's the deal. They're going to pay us more money, and they're going to give us better hours. And Ascension and, and, and ThetaCare will stay if you you know, if you make the deal, give us better, give us, give us what the other people are offering, and, and we'll consider staying. And ThetaCare said, nope, 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 we're not going to match. And so then they all left. So then what happens is ThetaCare runs into court and tries to get an injunction preventing the employees from leaving, arguing, well, it's going to hurt our hospital and it's going to hurt public health in the area. Well, okay. You know, we, we talked about this last week. You know, what, what are you, you thinking? I mean, you're, you're a hospital system. We, we, don't, we don't have slavery in this country. That was done away with in you know, the 1860s. You know, these employees are at-will employees, and if they get a better offer somewhere, they should be able to go, and you shouldn't be able to tie them up. And ultimately, a, a court lifted the injunction. Now the breaking news is that ThetaCare has decided, well, maybe this wasn't the wisest use of a lawsuit, and they've now dropped the lawsuit against these other employees. Look, here, here's my message to these hospital systems. If if you're afraid that employees are going to leave and it's going to hurt your business, it, it's fine. First of all, I mean, you can lock them up. You can offer them contracts. You can offer them employment agreements. You can put in non-compete agreements as part of those contracts. There's all sorts of stuff you can do to prevent and protect yourself from having seven or eight employees just suddenly bail and go to a competitor. You can do that. Or alternatively, you know, if they come in and they say, hey, I've got a better offer from a competitor, you can match that offer and keep them. But you can't sue to tell people that they can't go work at another job. And ThetaCare apparently has now come to that conclusion and dropped what was an ill-considered lawsuit in the first place. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm so delighted to have you with us. All right, uh, this story broke after I got off the air Friday afternoon, I, I have, for the last 30 years, 27 actually, doing a radio talk show full or part-time in this area, one of the, the frustrations, matter of fact, it, it, it's gotten so frustrating that I rarely talk about it anymore, and, and that is the, the public education system. Because here's, here is the bottom line of this. You know, when we talk about a lot of the problems, crime and things like that, and a lot of it comes back to failing public education systems. For, for everybody who wonders, gee, why is it that, that people leave, for example, the city of Milwaukee? But you can apply this to other urban areas as well. Well, it's a lot of things. It's the high taxes. It's the certain the crime rate that we talk a lot about, and it's it's school systems and, and a perception and a reality that school systems are are failing. If you live in a community, 
if you live in a community where there's a good school system, even if you don't have kids, that, that's a value because people will want to move into your community. Your property values will be higher because people are looking for good school systems where they can send their, their kids. So good school systems are, are important. Now, look, I understand that there's a lot to go in that goes into having a good school system. And, and part of the problem you have in urban areas and part of the problem you have in MPS is you've got a lot of parents who aren't involved in their kids' lives, who don't care about the schools, who don't care about education, who don't care if their kids are not in school, but rather are out on the streets at 11 o'clock on a Wednesday morning instead of being in seventh grade, stealing cars. So I, I understand that you've got huge family problems because I, I firmly believed that you know the number one thing when it comes to education is not just having you know a good school system, but it starts with having parents, family members, a structure that makes education important, that doesn't tolerate, you know, what, what do you mean you weren't in school today? Get your sorry butt to school. So I understand when we talk about these urban school situations, there's a lot of stuff going on. But just like, just like we have to face this reality, And that reality is that crime is out of control, for example, in the city of Milwaukee. You can try to pretend otherwise. You can try to stick your head in the sand. But but that's just not the case. The other reality is the Milwaukee public school system, with some exceptions, there are some exceptions, but as a general rule, it is perceived as a failing school system. I mean, seriously, do you know anybody that says, hey, I I, want to move into the city so I can send my kids to, to MPS. And again, there's a lot of reasons why why the, the system fails, and it's, it's not all the teachers, and it's not all the administrators. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's also not, not money, in my opinion, because MPS gets a lot of money. But um, for whatever reasons, you know, year after year, you have a school system that's not delivering. And as a result, you have people who want to move out of the city because they want to get their kids out of it. Or you have people who just, that the kids are trapped in a system that is failing. And we, we've maintained the status quo year after year after year. And the argument has always been, well, give us more money. You know, we, we want more money. Teachers want more money. Administrators want give us more money. And so you give them more money, and that doesn't change anything. Well, all right, there's a proposal on the table that, that might really change stuff. And as you might expect, the usual suspects are already opposed to it. Okay, here, here's the, the deal. Alberta Darling, who is the state senator from River Hills, and you know she's been, she's been all over school systems for years and years, and she's the chairperson of the Senate Education Committee. And there, there's going to be a series of bills that are going to be introduced, and I, I fully expect that Tony Evers because he's pretty much beholden to big teachers' unions, isn't going to sign off on these. But it might be an issue for the upcoming election. So here's the deal. This is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it. Republican lawmakers plan to propose a sweeping package of legislation to overhaul the K-12 education system in Wisconsin. And part of that is breaking up the state's largest school district within two years and expanding private school vouchers to every student, regardless of family income. Okay, I, I want to talk about the, the breaking up of MPS. Under the proposal, Milwaukee Public Schools would be dissolved 
by July 1st of 2024 and replaced with four to eight smaller districts in the city. In addition, in an effort to provide accountability, you might remember a few years ago, there, there was a push to, to like, like, part of the problem we have here is that there's really no accountability. The, the mayor of Milwaukee ha- has really no control over the, the school system. You have, like, school board members, and you have a school superintendent, but it's completely divorced from the rest of the political process. So members of the Common Council, they, they don't have a say of what goes on in the schools. The mayor doesn't have a say. So here, this new plan would break big MPS into four or eight smaller districts. The new plan would create a commission consisting of the governor and the mayor of Milwaukee, both of whom would make two appointments to the commission and the state superintendent of public instruction. The commission would determine the new school districts, their boundaries, submit recommendations for statutory change. But the idea is what we're going to do is instead of having this mammoth system, we're going to break it into smaller parts so it's more manageable, and we're going to have accountability. We're going to say, okay, mayor, okay, governor, okay, state school superintendent, you're going to put people on this commission. And they're going to be responsible for the success or failure of the system. And by the way, if you know if it fails, then people can come back and they can say, okay, well, the, the mayor has an input here, and the governor has an input here, and the, the school superintendent has an input here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I look at it like this. I, I don't know if this is the magic bullet. I, I don't know if this is going to solve problems which which may be some of which may be insurmountable but i do know that what we have been doing for the last several decades isn't working and, and again i I'm, i mean i'm you just kind of go back and, and you look at, at the response and it's no we can't do this no we can't do that well what we are doing is we are trapping kids particularly kids that live in some of the most impoverished areas of the the state, we're trapping them in a system that for most of them is not working. So I guess I'm open to different ideas, and breaking MPS into smaller districts, I think it's a good start. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, what, what, what do you think about this? Should we... Should we consider breaking MPS into smaller districts and then letting the mayor have some input, letting the governor have input, and then you have a degree of accountability? I guess I'm willing to try anything because what we're doing now isn't working. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, there's a lot of aspects to the, this this proposal, but I, I want to focus on the idea of breaking the, the giant school district that is MPS into four or eight smaller school districts and then really putting in some accountability of elected officials saying, okay, here, here's the deal. Instead of this independently elected school board that really isn't accountable to anyone, here's what we're going to do. It, it's, okay, the governor and the mayor 
and the school superintendent, okay, you, you guys are all going to have people on the board, and so if, if the numbers don't work and if the system continues to fail, well, okay, you guys are going to ultimately be held accountable. Jeff, I'm interested to hear about this. I've been saying for years that MPS is too big, way too much money spent on the bureaucracy versus the teachers and staff and resources in school. We were a dedicated MPS family, super involved in our kids' school, big advocates for it. Unfortunately, the sweeping rules of MPS finally drove us out after nine years. Jeff, I think it's a step in the right direction, especially when they try to do across-the-board meal plans, home virtual learning, etc. I believe it would also give us the opportunity to target children with real needs in a much more um, a much more direct fashion. Jeff, I think it sounds like a great plan for MPS. Right now, it's running uncontrolled. There needs to be an example of their accountability. Jeff, I'm a retired teacher. I say absolutely. What do you have to lose? Let's try and improve it somehow. Let's try something different. 855-616-1620. Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, good afternoon. Um, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my phone on this topic. Um, sure. Yeah, my, my feeling on this topic is that is that I think it's a, a good idea. I think it has merits. Um, and I, but I, but I, I personally believe that the success of a student through the educational process starts at starts in the home, and until you and uh, until the social deficiencies of students who attend MPS, whatever from a household structural standpoint, are addressed, the the proposal, although good and, and unique, is still going to produce whatever a very similar output to what we're getting right now. And one experiment that I've always wanted to see happen is let's take whatever the students that go to, say, Kettle Moraine, whatever, and take the faculty and teachers that are at MPS, let's put them out, on, let's put them out in Kettle Moraine and see how the students perform and then take the, and then take the faculty of Kettle Moraine and switch them over to MPS and see how they, and, and see how the MPS students perform and see if there's any, see if, see if there's any marked mark difference. Because I know that at one time, they had the superintendent of, of Mequon Deansville, which is like the state's number one school system. He was on the border. He was like a um, like a consultant for MPS for a couple of years, and even his involvement, whatever, didn't markedly change whatever the output generated by MPS. Yeah, thanks for the call, Scott. Look, I, and I, and my my lead into this. I, I mean, I understand that it's a very very complicated issue, and. And I, I and there's no simple answers to this, and, and I don't disagree with your basic premise that you know a, a lot of it does start at, at the home. If you if you have parents who are involved in their kids' education, and you have parents who care, and you have parents who are going to make sure the kids go to class, and if you have parents who make sure the kids are going to do their homework and send some time working with them, you, you've got a, a you've, you've got a leg up. There's no question about it. So I, I understand that in any urban school system, MPS as well, that when you you have if you have parents that are just completely punched out and stuff, that it, you're you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. And I also appreciate that by breaking MPS up into smaller subsets, you don't necessarily take that dynamic away. Because, you know, if if, if the kid is coming from a, a dysfunctional family, does it make any difference if he's going to MPS or if he's going to, you know, whatever you want to call the smaller one? But, but I do think 
there's this. Part of the problem with MPS is that you do have this huge bureaucracy with all the different one-size-fits-all rules and things of the like. And you've got the very, very powerful teachers' unions who just, as a general rule, well, if, it, if it's going to require more accountability, we, we, don't want, we don't want that. And then you've got the administrators who, you know, well, if it's going to be more accountability, we don't want that. I'm all about accountability. I'm all about trying different ideas. And I guess I go back to my basic premise on this, which is what we're doing now isn't working. And and we've been doing this for decades. Now, ideas like this have come out in, in the past, and they've been, been shot down by the public education bureaucracy. They've been shot down by the, by the teachers' union, you know, bosses and things like that. And I, I think, you know, that does a huge disservice to, to the kids because, as we always say with the cliché, doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different is, in fact, the ultimate definition of insanity. And, and that's that's kind of where we are. I don't, like I say, know if this is the ultimate magic bullet or, or not. But I do know that it is unfair and to trap students in school systems which are not performing. If you don't want to use the word failing, we won't use the word failing, but not performing. It's also a waste of money to keep pouring money into you know systems that are just continuing to fail. And the one thing I do reject completely is the idea that, you know, well, the problem we have in the public school system, for example, at MPS, is that there, there's not enough money. That's, there, there, there's lots and lots of money. The problem is, that the money that is in the system is not being spent in a in an efficient sort of fashion. And again, you've got the bureaucracy with all that stuff. So what would be the downside of breaking it into smaller districts that could be closer to neighborhood schools, for example, that you'd have a, a different kind of degree of accountability? And, and at the same time, it's a win-win situation. See, this is the thing, if you're... If I'm the 2B mayor of the city of Milwaukee, at the risk of upsetting the union, the teachers' union bosses, I'm out there saying, you know, yeah, we got to do something differently. Give me, give me a stake in this. Give me some ability to control this. Because, like right now, elected officials, whether it's the common council or the county executive or or the mayor, they're like potted plants. I mean, there, what happens at MPS affects the overall city because, again, it affects who wants to move in, who wants to move out, all that type of stuff, but they really have little or no authority over it. Again, I don't know that this is the magic bullet, but it's an argument that at least should be had, and it's a discussion that just shouldn't be dismissed simply because some of the usual suspects are so invested in the current system that they just don't want to do it. This is Jeff Wagner back with much more in just a couple of minutes. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. We discussed this. We discussed this last week, and, and it led to heated exchanges on the air and then on the text line and uh, the, the emails I got, and, and people were all over the map on this. And I'm talking about the promise that the president has made that when he fills the next vacancy on the Supreme Court, it will be a black woman. Now, 
the, the history of this is back in March of 2020, pe- people forget what happened in the first couple, the Iowa caucuses and the first couple Democrat primaries is Joe Biden w- was nowhere. I mean, Joe Biden, he got buried in New Hampshire, did not do very well in, um, the, in, uh, didn't do, didn't do very well in Iowa, didn't do well in New Hampshire. And anyhow, it, Bernie Sanders was the guy that had the inside track to the nomination. And a lot of Democrats were panicked that, oh my gosh, if it's Bernie Sanders, you know, there, there's no way that America is going to vote for a, a socialist. So we, we've got to do something. So South Carolina was the, the firewall for Joe Biden. South Carolina, the Democratic primary, a large number of of black voters. And it was during a a debate down there, partly maybe because he thinks it's good policy, but it was definitely good politics at the time. Joe Biden knew that in order to win the South Carolina primary and stop Bernie Sanders, what he had to do is he had to get a big turnout from black voters in South Carolina. So he made the promise when I get an appointment to the Supreme Court, I am going to put a black female on there. And I don't know if it was because of that promise or other things, but the black community turned out in big numbers for Joe Biden. He won South Carolina. He stopped the Bernie Sanders momentum. And, and then uh, Biden went on to win the Democratic nomination. As we all know, he went on to, to win the presidency. So now... Flash forward to 2022, Stephen Breyer announces he's stepping down. This is a huge opportunity because with Democrat marginal control of the Senate, 50, 50 at least for, for the moment, and the vice president being a Democrat, if all the Democrats stay in line, Joe Biden is going to be able to get his, his choice. Um, so Joe Biden has now announced in what I think was kind of a heavy-handed way that, okay, that this is going to be a black female. That you know, So if you're a, a white male, liberal white male, don't bother applying. Liberal white female, don't bother applying. If you're Hispanic, male or female, don't bother applying. If you are Asian, male or female, don't bother applying. If you're a black male, don't bother applying. This is a slot which is going to go to a black female. Now, a number of the names, there's a handful of names that are being tossed around, and I I had an opportunity over the last couple days to kind of read up on their background. And, look, if I were the president, they wouldn't be my appointments because they're way, in my opinion, to the left of center. But I, I could I could understand where a Democratic president would say, okay, these are, you know, th- these are acceptable candidates to me. The problem is, with Biden, he, he's not made this pronouncement that he wants – the best qualified candidate, and I'm not saying that the names that they're they're tossing around aren't aren't qualified, and might not go on to be fine justices, but by limiting to black females, he's now narrowed this down, and, and it's the ultimate in uh, identity politics and, and appointments. Now, on the one hand, you can say, well, isn't it time to have a, a black female on the Supreme Court? Okay, that, that's, that's fine, and that's the argument. The flip side is, what does it say to everyone else who aspired to be on the Supreme Court that now you're not going to get your opportunity to do this? You're not even going to be considered because you are of the wrong race and you are of the wrong gender. And like I say, this, this is, has inspired a, a lot of intense debate. How dare you criticize Joe Biden and you are nothing but racist if you don't think there should be a black female in the court? to the whole other thing about, isn't this reverse racism? Why wouldn't you want the most qualified 
candidate. And if it turns out to be a black female, that, that's fine. Republican Susan Collins, she I think had a great point over the weekend on one of the talk shows. She said, look, this was just this was handled in a clumsy fashion. You know, Pre- President Biden could very well have appointed a black female, but by saying that he will only appoint a black female, he's really he he's narrowed the scope of this so much. Well, anyhow, there's a new poll that is out. This is the ABC News um, Ipsos poll, not necessarily a conservative thing. And here's the numbers, 76%. Now, again, I understand you take poll numbers with a grain of salt. 76% of respondents say they believe that President Biden should consider all possible nominees, while 23% want him to follow through on his commitment to nominate the first black female. Interestingly, among Democrats, among Democrats, 54% considered all nominees, said he should consider all nominees regardless of race and gender. Just 23% of those polls wanted Biden to restrict his list of nominees to black women. All right, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So now you're starting to see these poll numbers come in. And even even among Democrats, who are probably, who are undoubtedly thrilled that Joe Biden's going to get an appointment, more than one out of two are, are not happy with the way he's handling this by saying that he's only going to look at one specific category of person, namely black females which isn't to say anything about against black females. But he's now said, I'm not looking at anybody else. And that's not sitting well with a lot of people, Republicans, independents, Democrats, 75% of the American public. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's I don't know how Biden walks this back. Because, I mean, it was a promise that he made in March of 2020, and it was a promise that undoubtedly helped him, you know, win South Carolina and then go on to get elected. And there is, of course, a value to diversity. But doesn't it strike you a little bit wrong that we're just now coming out and saying it's got to be this gender, it's got to be this race, nobody else need apply. 855-616-1620. Let me put the same question to you that ABC News put to the general public, which is should should Biden back up and say I'm going to, you know, I'm going to consider all possible nominees instead of limiting myself in this way. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 856-85... Let's try this again. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the American public, if you believe the polls... Um, not thrilled with Joe Biden's decision to say, okay, in filling the Supreme Court position, all I'm going to look at is black females. That's it. Nobody else needs apply. Jeff, how does Biden's pronouncement that he wants to appoint a black female differ from past presidents who announced that they will appoint justices who want a Roe versus Wade overthrow? It's apples and oranges. It, it, it's not close. It's one thing if Biden were to say, this is a policy matter. I'm looking for, as he is, somebody who's going to make a commitment that they're not going to overturn Roe. Okay, but that somebody, he's not saying, gee, but that person has to be it has to be a female. It has to be a male. He, I mean, obviously, any president's going to look for people who pass certain litmus tests when it comes to issues. But Biden isn't saying this is an issue-related litmus test. This is gender 
and race. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. What do you think? Hi. Um, well, in response to your question that you posed, um, yes, he should back it up, but he will not because he already said he would do it, and if he would back it out, then, he, you know, obviously they'd go crazy. They'd be protesting back and forth. My opinion is discrimination is discrimination, no matter who it happens to. But Democrats, and Biden in particular, at this moment, have been pandering to blacks for over 50 years. So this is just another example. You know, if he would have said something like, you know what, I'm really, I think it is time to have a black woman on the court. I will strongly consider that, but I'm going to leave it open to the best possible person, you know, who can further my agenda. That'd be different. But he just said flat out, it has to be a black woman. That's discrimination against everybody else. Yeah, thanks for the call, Mike. I, I just I think that that's one of the reasons. I mean, the thing was so very, very heavy-handed, and that, that's what I, I think. Even a lot of the Democratic strategists are, are saying that they're they're surprised that it was necessarily handled in this fashion because you you could have done this without publicly trumpeting that you know everybody else need not apply. Now, by the way, I, I think that there is a. I, I think that I mean I think that there is an advantage to. You know diversity. I mean, there, there's no question about it, and I, I have no doubt that you know the people he's talking about. He'll he'll find a qualified person. But the problem is, I think by doing it the way he's done it, he has um, he's really I, I think perhaps you know he, he's created this idea that I, I'm not necessarily going to pick the most qualified person. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Rome in Midtown. Rome, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hello, and thank you for taking my call. Uh, yes, I see this as no problem. Uh, I see this uh, as him uh, promise made, pro- promise kept. Uh, if you know the history of our country, you'll know that uh, over the past uh, years of that we've had the uh, Supreme Court, it's been uh, probably, I think, about n- over 90% uh, white males. Uh, and uh, I think that anytime someone makes a decision based on race, uh, they're, they put themselves at the mercy of being too black, too strong. Uh, that's what usually comes off when you have these kind of polls. If you poll the average person walking the streets in Milwaukee or uh, the surrounding area, uh, I think that number will be a lot higher. Uh, so when you look at talking to those poll numbers, I don't think we should get carried away with those numbers because they don't reflect the people. They reflect just some people they're calling uh, to get some answers. Uh, but you talk to the people. I talked to over. Uh, I talked about fifteen hundred people a day, driving Lyft and uh, in my other capacity. And uh, I do my own little polls. And people see this as just a way of evening the leveling the playing field. Uh, get, and when Re- Ronald Reagan did it, it was no big deal. He uh, said that he was going to hire a woman. Uh, I think that uh, if you look at anyone that he recommends out of the group that he's looking at, any one of those uh, ladies will be. Uh, as qualified or more qualified than the people that are sitting there now. So I don't think we should get our... Uh, if, if, instead of saying, if instead of saying it was a black female, if instead he had said, you know what, we need an Asian male on the court, would you feel differently? We, you know, we, yes, we're, Asian no, males aren't represented. We need an Asian male. We need more diversity, period. And I think that if we can use people that are qualified if he can pick a person that's going to be qualified which he will then the, the race thing is not going to be the big deal i think we're ginning this up too much when it just because he said a black woman or you know like i said if, it would, if people said an asian male uh that might not have been as uh, strong as a black woman i think that anytime you talk pro-black 
that becomes an issue. I don't okay, think. Okay, well, no, but I guess my question was, if he had, if he had said, if he had said, we we need, I, I I am committed to appointing the first Asian male to to the court, and he said, I'm going to use this appointment to do that. Do you think a lot of people in the black community would have had a problem? Well, they would have thought that that maybe he would have should have looked at a, a, a African American woman first because uh, we they are more uh, highly represent they are more uh, a larger number in the population and when you look in terms of the way that black women have been treated in this country or just women in general if you think about it it was only you know a couple of years ago that women could even vote in this country so I mean, we got to start somewhere and I don't think that just because he said the word black or that he's picking a black female I don't think that we should make such a big deal out of this because. Pick someone that's going to be more qualified than half the people that we have on the Supreme Court already. Well, thanks for calling. We, we don't we don't know that, and, and the controversy isn't necessarily who he has picked. The controversy is who he said he will not consider because. Uh, again, they're not the right race and they're not the right gender. And I guess I just I, again I, I go back to this, and I, I wonder how leaders of the black community would feel if he had come out instead of saying hey in the interest of diversity I, I think you know we need to put a black woman on the court if instead he would have said okay well you know, we, we need an Asian male we need an Asian female whatever that, that might be you pick whatever kind of identity politics you want to pick and he said this is going to be that I guarantee you you would have had screaming from people in the community saying you know wait a second why whatever happened to picking people on on merit and, and again I want to I, I'm looking at the names of the people he's talking about and it's not like I, I at least some of the people it's not like I think they're you know unqualified or anything like that it depends on who he ultimately ends up picking but yeah you, you're going to have I think mainstream liberal judges that are going to be there I'm just interested in the fact that he's now decided that he's in the interest of this identity politics he's just excluding I, I think you know, if you look at the number of lawyers, I was the Wall Street Journal did something like this. I, I think that the the number of the whole universe of lawyers, the number of black female lawyers is only about two percent, which which might raise this other issue about why or is that number so low? But you're you're limiting your choices, you're limiting the scope of this very important pick to that many people. Look, I look, I understand here. The the politics of this is that he said he was going to do it. He needs support. He he depended on support of the black community to get elected. He needs support of the black community to continue to, uh, I mean, stay to stay in office, to get reelected if he runs again. And, and so far, I think he's been struggling with that. So, I mean, he's not going to go back on his campaign promise. That's just the reality of this. But he's boxed himself in in a way that I don't think was necessarily smart. Now, the caller is correct. Back in uh, the early 80s, you know, Ronald Reagan, you know, one of the things that he, he said when he ran for office is that he wanted to appoint a female to the Supreme Court, which led to the appointment of Sandra Day O'Connor. What I don't remember is that I, I don't remember them saying when that appointment came up that they weren't going to look at anybody else. And, and I could be wrong on that, but I don't remember them saying that they, they weren't going to consider males a, as well. But, I mean, clearly there was a preference for a female. If, for a female. If, if Biden had said, I've got preferences as opposed to, you know, I'm only going to consider black females, I don't think he'd be necessarily in the trouble that he's in today. All right. When we come back, let's find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.